UX Podcast Episode 205. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Jonas Söderström, with listeners in 182 countries from Barbados to Bahrain. And today is a link show. And a link show, uh, for those of you, perhaps including Jonas, that don't know what a link show is, it's when we've, we've scavenged the whole of the internet for interesting articles and we found a couple, in this case three this week this time, that we think is interesting and would like to share with you and talk about. The first of these articles um, is going to be, uh, Are You an Evil Genius? How Dishonesty Can Make You More Creative? by Dr. Julia Shaw. Yeah, and then we have a set of two articles by Erica Hall, who is Mule Girl on Twitter, and the articles are it's never a good time to do research, and a couple of that. And also, research questions are not interview questions. So, are you an evil genius? How dishonesty can make you more creative? By Dr. Julia Shaw, who is Dr. Julia Shaw on Twitter, Doctor as in D R Julia Shaw. Now, this is an article that's on the um, the Guardian. Well, actually, it was, um, it's actually in The Observer, um, which doesn't really make any sense now in the digital world because they're all on the, the Guardian website, but in the printed world, uh, they print a different paper on a Sunday called The Observer, um, which I seem to have now managed to reinforce um, once again in the digital world. Um, very confusing. Okay. Very confusing and quite uh, unnecessary. But anyway, Julia Shaw. Um, I'll... Um, I'll read you a little bit from the from the article. Um, we we tend to think evil is something that other people are. We think of ourselves as good people, and even when we do morally reprehensible things, uh, we understand the context of our decisions. With others, however, it's far easier to write them off if their actions deviate substantially from what we consider acceptable. We may even la- label them evil. So, although um, although there may be differences between um, those who do bad things and those who don't, these are not fundamental. Acknowledging the similarities between all of us can be far more useful than aggressively highlighting the differences. So, what's um, what Julia's um, is trying to say here now is is, is that um, we've got this. <coughs> Well, we we've we've got a scale there. We're, we we've got evil um, as um, deviation from what's socially mm. um, acceptable, um, and <clears throat> there's this typically referred to as, as deviation. Evil is deviation from social norms. So where formal deviance um, would be the violation um, of laws like like murder or assault and so on, whereas informal deviance. Uh, would be violation of of just social norms like lying. Mm. Um, well, you might say she she's stretching the word word evil here, but that's more or less what she says. So because she says, and I like this, the word evil is insufficient. There are no simple explanations for why humans do bad things. 
instead there are many and they are all marvelously nuanced um, yeah which is true I mean she's she's um, have a point about uh, challenging social norms of course uh, but the interesting thing is actually what, what I think you, you also uh, described there was the um, uh, experiment that she she uh, talks about here uh, which is called evil genius the research paper yes um evil genius published in 2014 behavioral scientists um, francesca gino and scott um withermuth um but um just before i dive into that though it was, it was interesting when she starts off by saying um well that deviating from the normal makes us villains you know, the evil side of things but also make us heroes um and she makes she gives an example there which i think is good to to give before um, to frame the the research that um an example of a of a child um if a child notices another child being bullied in school they they deviate from social pressures when they stand up for that child being bullied so it's it's a it's a form of social deviation but it makes that child doing that deviation a hero yeah might call that a benevolent genius then <laughs> <laughs> yeah um oh, well that, that yeah. child that yeah. Um, so the this research that was um, was done, um, they wanted to examine uh, whether people who behave unethically in one task are then more creative um, than others on a subsequent task. And Julia explains that this research was repeated five times, um, I think across five studies, and they found the same thing that um, participants who um, cheated in the first task. Um, then um, went on to do better in the creativity task. Well, it's quite normal uh, or, or natural, actually, because to lie, you have to be creative, or to cheat, you have to be creative because you're making something up. You're, you're um, just following the rules is, is of course, not creative. Mm. At, at first, it might seem counterintuitive, but, but when you think of it, it's, it really makes sense uh, in a way. Yeah, exactly. We don't. We're constantly in like all these uh, workshops and team building sessions. We're we've been encouraged to think outside the box and 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 be be innovative, innovative, and um, you know to come up to be creative to think of, think of new things. You do have to break away from what is already established, um, and you know. So creativity is absolutely a deviation. Mm. Um, Julia mentions she she talks about how you know, we've we've created. Some wonderful things with deviation, um, for creativity and deviation, like modern medicine and cures. We've we've created plenty of things that help do good, um, but on the on the other side, we've also created things like nerve agents and, and nuclear weapons, where we've used our creativity to to end up with a a less positive result. You you naturally come to think of Steve Jobs, of course, and you come to think of here's to the crazy ones, uh, <laughs> the quote. Um, and I, I know people that say that Steve Jobs actually was a bit crazy <laughs> and, and probably a bit evil. Um, he certainly crossed a number of lines dealing with family and dealing with, with co-workers. And so on. Um, someone also said, told me that, well, I would never work with Steve Jobs, but um, if that's what it takes or his deviation or his crossing lines, if that is what it takes to create a decent computer i'm happy with that mm. that's that's interesting itself because it, it, it implies like a normalization 
of, of the situation so, so you don't feel it is it's not deviating um by being part of it um so it's acceptance um yeah. well i think i think that for me that's one of the this is what's fascinating about the article and um it implies that as creatives we are constantly working in this zone um where, where both divergence creativity are conflicting so that there's um there's a there's a good side and a bad side we've got a dark side gray area yeah and twilight we've got zone. To, the twilight zone the twilight zone yeah <laughs> but but that's the thing that as, as creatives when or designers where where is the line and and i think we're probably quite if we look at the evidence around us of recent years about startups and and so on and some of the big the current internet giants that we've got an issue of 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 ethics yes. and and how these big these modern startups have um struggled with the ethical side yeah. of things um and um so clearly we're not great at recognizing where the line is where our divergence um to be creative suddenly morphs into or eventually morphs into um a divergence that is that is evil um that is not good well as one as has I have been working with the gambling industry. I, I, when I worked with them, I told myself that working with sports betting is okay. That is a fairly reasonably, fair, reasonably fair sort of, of betting. But I won't go into casinos. I won't go into poker. Uh, um, so I, I, I try to draw that line. But um, in any case, I, I, I was in a workshop with another guy. Um, also worked with the gambling company he was Irish and he said at a workshop that when I took this job I accepted I was going to hell and he looked at me and said and so are you <laughs> um, the line was drawn very clearly in the sand for you yes there, the Jonas. line was drawn <laughs> and eventually I, I quit because I, I, I felt I couldn't really um, defend working in that that business um yeah, yeah exactly well, that's, that's that's a choice i mean we, we all know of people that have worked with those industries that are, are, are kind of maybe generally frowned upon as, mm. as or i would say i wouldn't say evil but well maybe it depends on your uh, viewpoint but um but people do still work with them and and maybe this in part explains it that you you know if you've uh, if you think it's better to be part of it and maybe you can kind of alter it from within you don't think it's not beyond salvation maybe um, perhaps perhaps there was a panel a discussion at the ia summit a couple of years ago in san francisco i think where with people who had worked with websites of of, of uh, certain kinds um and I, as i recall most of them either had sort of stumbled into it and and started working on the website and then suddenly realized this is not uh, just a tourist website this is an escort service <laughs> um or someone who who realized that this is not what i consider ethical but i need to put food on the table for my kids um which is what we do as humans of course we we try to um, get a living in some some uh, at some time mm. i i don't remember anyone talking about going into those areas and trying to change anything but um no. there might be <laughs> yeah i mean something else I've, I've i've recalled from a few conferences in recent years or, or meetups and so on is that there's been a, there has been um a lot more of these improv sessions um where where people are practicing or in, encouraged to do improvisation 
um, as a way of improving their um, mm. design skills mm. uh, or creativity. And that, that fits ex in exactly into this, um, this, this scale or pattern that um, um, Julia is describing, that's, that we need to practice lying or faking mm. or um, being another character. Um, role play. To be more, role play yeah. to be more um, creative. Yeah. Um, which, which I think does sound excellent, but we've we've got to. Uh, I think real obviously is a real challenge recognizing when when we're just flexing a muscle um, to keep us fit, mm. and and when we've we've um, done that human thing of of blocking out the truth mm. um, to to make something acceptable that perhaps isn't at all acceptable. I think um, at the end of um, um, Julia's article. Um, she's actually written a book called Making Evil, um, and I, I guess these um, these tips on how to be more creative are are from the book or connected to the book. Um, so perhaps I can I can read the three tips. So, you can, but I, I won't I won't judge them. I'll um, I'll see whether I'll leave that for you all to judge and see whether they're useful. Um, the first tip: free yourself from the concept of evil. All people, including you, are capable of great harm. Deviate from what the rest of the world is saying and avoid dehumanizing others. Second tip. Realize that to be creative is to be deviant. Unfettered thinking is important, but reapply your mortality when you turn your ideas into action. Third tip. Harness your inner hero. Internalizing the realization that you too can be a hero makes it more likely that you will use your deviant power to help others. I think the, the, the core of this, the, the most important part here is, is that avoid dehumanizing others because that's when you turn a deviation or, or just some challenging a social norm to something truly evil when you dehumanize others. That, that is the line. You're absolutely right, Jonas. That's the point where you're, you've, you've blinkered yourself to, to what is actually going on. Mm. You've dehumanized the situation. Mm. Completely correct. So that's something also you need to practice, I think, as well as improvisation. Practice um, learning or understanding where those yeah. dehumanizing lines are in your work. Yeah. So the second, well, actually, the set of two articles that we're going to discuss are two articles by Erica Hall, Mule Girl. And um, the first one is called It's Never a Good Time to Do Research which is why you should be doing research all the time. Uh, and the second one, which is related to the first one, obviously, is called Research Questions Are Not Interview Questions. And I really like the first one, the, the uh, it's never a good time to do research, which is why you should be doing research all the time, because she lists there a number of excuses uh, that we've all heard in projects uh, or in organization, the reasons for not doing research, the reason for not uh, finding out what the user actually wants. Uh, and I, it's a wonderful list, a short list, but it's a wonderful list. Like, we are a data-driven organization, and we are a delivery-driven organization. Or real-world knowledge is irrelevant to our blue ocean, blue sky, blue moon, blue cheese opportunities. And of course, the classic, we don't have time, we don't have money, and finally, we are freaking geniuses. Yeah, you've got to love that last one. Yeah. Uh, I think she's, she's, um, the second paragraph of the article is really, really um, uh, quite good. Um, like like most, most myths, 
because she says that the right time to do research is a myth. Um, this contains a truth about human nature. The truth is that people tend to procrastinate and avoid activities that make them anxious in favour of those that deliver immediate satisfaction and then justify their behaviour with excuses mm. after the fact. Mm. I also love the, the, the sentence just after that, which says, and this relates to our previous discussion, people are amazing at coming up with excuses. This is the, this is the best evidence that every human is born a creative problem solver. Which is <laughs> exactly what we talked about. Like make, We're deviants. Yeah. Yes, finding excuses, uh, in, inventing excuses. Uh, but it, it's interesting, and, and what she says about people being anxious, because uh, I often find that even colleagues, uh, junior UX um, colleagues, are sometimes afraid of asking questions. Um, and I think there are... Afraid of, of interviewing users, and I think they are afraid of showing that they don't know everything, that they don't know everything about the subject or the the context of of the user. They're supposed well, they, to uh, supposed to investigate. Yeah. Well, this is the. I mean, we're uh, this is strange in some ways because we're, we're constantly doing research in our daily lives, as uh, Erica says in the article, and and um, you know, there's, it's that basic human thing um, about thinking of a question gathering evidence and consider what it means it's that's what we are we've been doing that for all time you know looking at looking at what's around you and then trying to weigh it up and then deciding whether it's going to eat me or whether i'm going to eat it I, she has these examples of, of of you people won't go to and invest two hours and 15 bucks to see a movie without doing research <laughs> that's that's very true oh and I, I love the example she gives of the um of buying a car um, that you would you would never um, you would never kind of set off buying a car and and never not talk to anyone who'd recently bought a car, read any reviews or anything, or considered how to use a car in real world situations, and then maybe perhaps uh, you could run a, a ten question survey of um, about cars, and whoever volunteered to answer with no incentive or no follow up would would answer it, mm. and then maybe you could you do that maybe only one Sunday per month before you bought your car. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You would never yeah. invest yeah. that much money personally in an object like a car without doing doing your research. No. No. But yet, as you said, that we have organisations that are willing to spend millions of dollars and thousands of man oh, no, of hours of development mm. um, on guesswork. Yes, which and is which is uh, <laughs> absolutely bizarre. Yeah. And and actually, the list she she gives of excuses that is the list uh, that we of, of excuses for not doing. UX at all, or not doing design at all, or not doing user-centered um, development at all. Constantly, we we get these excuses in in organizations and uh, projects. And I've often thought that I would, I should uh, collect such a list and also give examples of consequences of organizations that had, that just said we don't have money or we don't have time, and give examples of the messes they have found themselves in <laughs> after ignoring um, the things we know is good and relevant, ignoring um, user research and, and, and all the activities that we bring into project. Uh, yeah, uh, like, a, like a little playbook of, of um, ways to respond to all these um, yes. situations. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, uh, I think she said, um, which I say here as well, as long as you treat research as a special inessential activity, 
you will never find time for it. No, of course, we we should do it all the time, not only uh, as a pre-study. Uh, we should do it all uh, during the entire development process, of course. As we know, it's hard sometimes to, to get that in, in projects. Yeah. But asking I, I... questions is... is um, Stigmatized in our society. I, my, one of my favorite people is, is Richard Saul Werman, who coined the, the term information architecture, as far as we know. And he, he's pointed out that, for example, in school, we are rewarded for having the answer, not for asking a question. Mm. So it's <laughs> very early we, we sort of um, are told not, not to ask questions in, in uh, there's a wonderful story about uh, a physicist, uh, Isaac Rabi, who won the Nobel Prize in 1944. Uh, he discovered this thing, nuclear magnetic resonance, um, which is what you have in the MRI scanners today. Mm, okay, yeah. um, and he won the Nobel Prize for that. Um, he was once asked, why did you become a scientist rather than a lawyer or a businessman like all the other immigrant kids in your neighborhood? He grew, <laughs> grew up in Brooklyn in the early 20th century. And his answer was that uh, my mother made me a scientist without even ever intending it. Um, every other Jewish mother in Brooklyn would ask her child after school, so did you learn anything today? Uh, but not my mother, said Dr. Rabi. She always asked me a different question. Izzy, she said, did you ask a good question today? That difference, asking good questions, made me become a scientist. Which is excellent, that. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I know. I do that myself, ask kids um, if they learned anything today, and I should really ask them <laughs> about the question. So I mean, I'll, I'll do that when I, when I see them today. Yeah, good. But, but, that, but that, that leads us excellently into the, the second of Erica's articles. Um, yes, um, which is called Research Questions Are Not Interview Questions. And she highlights here the, the difference between knowing what you want to know, what you want to find out, and how to, how to phrase it. So, so the difference here is a good research question is how do families with school-age children decide how to spend money on vacations? That's what we want to know. But that's not what you ask the family when you, when you find them. You don't ask them, how do you, how do you decide to spend your money on vacation? Um, what you ask them is something like, could you walk me through your last vacation from planning uh, until when you arrived back home? Yeah, so the the so the um, the research question is the is the um, the direct question, the the actual thing you need to answer. Yeah. Whereas the the interview questions are are probing, they're they're not direct. Yeah. They're 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 trying to surface information from the person you're talking to. Yeah. This, this is such an interesting subject because there are so many um, things that you should not ask <laughs> your subjects when you do research. Um, you, I never ask. Would you like uh, Would you like a website or would you like an uh, an app or something with these features? That's out of the question because that's like asking someone, "Would you like a box of candy?" <laughs> mm. <laughs> of course, they will say they will, they will say yes to almost anything. Mm. I mean, uh, the the whole thing there about um, you know we 
we, we've kind of we're used to asking questions. We're, you know, I think generally we're very inquisitive and we understand this is how we do things. But in business context, as Erika says in her article, um, this natural asking of questions seems to short circuit in, in the business context. And, and everyone is, is so worried about whether they're looking smart in front of each other and colleagues. And right. you, you mentioned this just at the start of the, um, the other Erika article. Um, you know, why, why are we all so worried about looking smart in front of each other? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a deep question. Turn to Richard Saul Worman again, because he also has told a story about when he started sort of his first job or something like that, and he was really junior and, and um, inexperienced, so he decided, oh, I need to learn, so promised himself to ask every time he didn't understand something. And he writes that sort of, this made me a very unpopular person and my career mm. miserable. <laughs> um, but, but, but you're right. I mean, that's, that's, that's true, isn't it? That you, if, you, if you ask, you've got a feeling about asking too many questions and we're put into a lot of situations where, um, you know, we, we, I think, as designers, we're, we're hunting for the answers all the time anyway, as well as when we're doing maybe interaction design, that you're looking for those those ready-made patterns that are guaranteed to work. We're, we're kind of look, told by managers and so on to look for quick solutions, you know, cheap mm, solutions. Mm. So it forces us to look for pre-made answers mm. um, rather, than, rather than dare to question. Mm. Because that, I think that's important that we need to, we need to not only you know, stop worrying about being smart in front of each other, uh, ask questions, but also be willing to question our own knowledge. Yes, question our assumptions and, and uh, I mean, as a, as a experienced designer, experienced researcher, you you always um, risk to um, short or think the, the, to recognize a pattern or think that you recognize a pattern, think that you recognize an answer, saying, "Oh, this is that kind of thing." That, that's this, that, um, and not drill down deep enough. Mm. Um, and we always have to question our assumptions, mm. don't we? Yeah, that, I mean, that's I've, the main thing. And also, I mean, I've, both me and you have worked long enough to know that, you know, even even something that we're we're almost completely certain is going to work, um, you end up seeing a time where no, yeah. it really doesn't, no. and it and it surprises you. Um, and after a while, you get used to the fact that these things surprise you because they they do happen all the time. They things do. Are, yeah never 100% certain to be what you think. So that's when you have to embrace your ignorance. Mm. Uh, and, and that's what I tell the junior uh, UX systems when they are sort of afraid of, of exposing their ignorance. That you shouldn't be afraid of that. Um, just show your curiosity because people will not be angry at you. if You, you think they will be angry at you because you're not... You don't know exactly what they're talking about. Just display your honest curiosity and ask him, tell me more, explain more. I, I'm, I don't know anything about this. I draw on my deep well of ignorance, as, as I think Alan Cooper said, yeah. which is but a wonderful, that, wonderful picture. Yeah. That, that, that um, ties into a, uh, another quote from um, Erica's article. When she talks about uh, organizations are the um, social context in which design and product decisions 
um, sorry, design and product decision making happens. If you don't understand how people make decisions in your organization, you will never be able to influence them. Yeah. So, so back to that daring to ask questions. I mean, and and the um, your quote you had about someone being a, being a pain at work because they were asking so many questions. That that's something you do. Um, need to be aware of we're back again to deviation and mm. social norms mm. Mm. I mean how you've got to learn how you can uh, question or w in what ways you can you can present um, questions and understand mm. your organization in order to um, influence and, and get things to happen mm. the correct things to happen yeah but it's it's um, I collect these stories about just research uh, and, and the value of it, um, and just to, to make sure that uh, you can get people to understand how important this is. The, my, my favorite one is uh, from a school teacher that wrote, it's, it's a blog post, it will be in the links, um, where she said, uh, or she writes, I have made a terrible mistake. I waited 14 years to do something that I should have done my first year of teaching, shadow a student for a day. It was so eye-opening that I wish I could go back to every class of students I ever had right now and change a minimum of ten, 10 things. That is, I mean, as a teacher, you su suppose you, you have these assumptions that you know about students, of course, mm -hmm. and about the subject, but just shadowing a student for a day put so many assumptions on the head um, that's, mm. that's such a beautiful piece and I show that to, to, to people when I, I try to explain the yeah. value of research mm. and the value of asking questions and, and the, the, the open questions and question, questioning your assumptions again yeah, I think Jared Spool calls um, or, or has the phrase um, exposure hours Mm. Um, how yeah. many hours you you um, observe or in contact with with the people using the products you make um, every month, and you know things generally get better the more exposure hours you have. Yeah, because it creates more empathy and understanding and and awareness of of what's going on out there. Please subscribe to the show if you don't already. Our entire collection of episodes are available on Spotify and on uxpodcast.com. Um, a good show to listen to next? Um, well, that could well be episode 194, Research on the Fly, with Sid Harrell. Remember to keep moving. And see you on the other side. Butch, Jimmy and Joe. Butch, Jimmy and Joe who? Butch your arms around me. Jimmy a kiss and let's Joe. <laughs>